Now, unlike uh, Matt, Mark, who uh, began the service saying that he built this all by himself, um, I came in late last night, and I thought I could do a few things. I did a few things outside that were rather just simple, and then I came inside, and, and I was looking at all the things that was being done, and I said, well, w- what do you want me to do? And they said, do you have any skills? And I said, no, just go home. So uh, <laughs> that was the message I got. But, you know, as you think about doing things, something like this, you, you better have the it factor if you're going to actually accomplish all the things you see around us. And I was uh, joking with Rich. I said, uh, throughout the whole service this morning, no one's going to be listening to me. I can, see, I can just see Bobby over there. She's not looking over here. She's looking at all the things over here. She's counting the fish and things like that. It, it, it's going to be a real challenge for you to focus on what we have to say here because there's so many things out here. But I hope, uh, hope you understand that this is all for a purpose because we're going to drive home uh, the whole emphasis and point of, of Vacation Bible School because the theme this week, this year, is all about helping them understand the nature and character of God. And if uh, sometimes you think I give you a little bit too uh, long of verses to memorize in one a month, uh, they're going to be memorizing six verses this week. And it's all about if God is great, then we have much to praise Him about. Psalm 145, verse 1 is the, is the theme verse. I will extol you, my God and King. I will bless your name forever and ever. And why would we bless God's name? Just because we're supposed to or because of his greatness? In the first day, uh, they're going to be talking about the greatness of God. And in that same psalm, Psalm 145, verse 3, he goes on and says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. How great is God? He is so great, we, we really can't put it into words because it's, it's, we have a, a lack of ability to explain the greatness and goodness of God. So be praying this week. We'll be taking off on that, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday. So you, those who can't be here this week will get a picture of all the ways we try to emphasize the nature and character and greatness of God. And if that be true, uh, we, we need to realize that we got to be in on it. Uh, last week, as uh, Bill was sharing, and this is kind of a takeoff on the Chosen series, is as we looked at the life of Nicodemus, and really the question there at the end was, uh, you, you better make sure you have it. Do you really have the life of Jesus? Have you made that step? And a couple of the indicators on that, as Bill was sharing, is if you really have it, uh, the life of Jesus then uh, you will love what God loves. And if you love what God loves and you bear the fruit of that, then you can know for sure it's not just something in your head, but it's in your heart and in your life. And as you think about even, have you, have you noticed that there's something significant happening in Tokyo right about now? It's, uh, what is that? What is it? Um, it's, it's the Olympics, right? And as you think about the Olympics, uh, whether uh, whether it's the athlete himself or a coach or whatever it might be, they're asking themselves the question or they, as they look at athletes or think, do they have it to be an Olympian? And then if they make it to the Olympics, do they have it to do well? And do they have it, uh, uh, the, enough of it so they get on the, on the, uh, on the platform? And, and then do they have it to be a gold medalist? And this morning, we're not going to talk about the training to become an Olympian, uh, though that is, a, that is a, a noble cause, and it's a lifelong pursuit for those who have made it. But we're going to be talking about, do you have it, and do you have it, with the, in, and can you, are you doing it the Jesus way? And so this morning, we're going to be looking at how Jesus wants us to make sure that we're living out what he wants to put in. Uh, any of you like uh, corny jokes? 
since this is an Olympian year, I'll just be talking uh, <laughs> to two of you this morning. But anyway, the thing about the Olympics, um, uh, you know, and uh, I just, and, and there's still challenges in our world today. I know one of our, our golfers just came down with COVID. It's not going to be able to, to compete uh, this year. But uh, there are some questions about those who are competing in the golf world. Why did, why did all the golfers have to, have to carry an extra pant, pair of pants with them in case they got a hole in one? Okay, I want a little bit more laughter, okay, as I share these jokes, all right. Uh, why couldn't the Olympic athlete listen to his music? Because he broke the record. Okay, here's the worst one. And, and uh, in, case, uh, in case you haven't really uh, heard the bad news, uh, the, the U.S. Olympic basketball team lost uh, today or yesterday. I kind of figured out how that all works being in Tokyo. But anyway, uh, they lost their first match in their Group A division uh, to France. And, and so here's a, an appropriate question. Why is basketball the messiest Olympic sport? Because players dribble all over the court. I told you it was the worst one. I told you it was the worst one. All right. So as you think about uh, life, life is filled with uh, challenges and upsets and things that you don't uh, necessarily think are going to happen, like the, the, the Olympic team losing their first match to actually a pretty good team in France who has other NBA players. But there is so much more um, importance in this world than making it to the Olympics and that making sure that you, you make it to what God wants you to to have and where he wants you to spend eternity. And so we're going to be looking at, the, at the, another encounter that Jesus had with an individual, making sure that they had it. But even more so, he wanted to teach his disciples who already had it, what it means to, to live the life of Jesus and share the life of Jesus with others. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. And I was re-looking at my notes this morning. And I'm not sure we're going to get through all of it. But what we're going to try to do is really hammer in that whole idea of making sure that you have it, but more important, uh, live it. And do, do, you, do it with it the Jesus way. Now, the it here, I'm going to frame it this way. The it is living the life of Jesus and then sharing the life of Jesus. Because God's people are called to know him and then to make him known. That's really the purpose of the church is that we want to make sure that we know him and have it, but live the life of Jesus, but then share that life of Jesus with others. So we're going to be looking at it this morning and looking primarily about, well, how, how do we do that? When you think about having it and living it and sharing it, it's not only what is it, it's life with Jesus, but it's also important about what, how are we supposed to do it and why are we supposed to do it? And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll capture that as we look at a familiar story in Jesus and encountering a person who desperately needed life with Jesus and then learn after her experience how she could share this life of Jesus with others. So let's look at it in John chapter 4 as we look at, well, what is it that God wants us to do and, and how should we do it? John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And this is in the first year of Jesus' ministry. He's just come on the scene. And if you've seen The Chosen or if you've read the chapters in the scripture, and I, I share with you before, the book is even better than the movie, and the movie is great. As, you, as Jesus comes on the scene and, and his ministry begins somewhat slowly, you think he'd be having this big event in which he would announce his coming out. But he, he kind of slowly brings himself into establishing that, that life of Jesus that he wants others to have. 
uh, in his first miracle, and, and this is still in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 2, we have the wedding at Canaan, and he was kind of a reluctant miracle worker there, if you, if you remember the story. Uh, the mother comes up to Jesus, the mother comes up to Jesus and said, can you help with, with the refreshments? And he says, it's not my time, it's not my time. But out of the compassion of his heart, behind the scenes, basically, he turns the water into wine. And then last week, we look in John chapter 3, where, where Nicodemus shows up and, and meets Jesus. But it's in, it's in the darkness of night, and, and people, most people didn't even know that, it, that an encounter happened with Jesus and a, a religious leader. But now Jesus takes off on a, on a field trip with his disciples, and he, they're, they're headed toward Jerusalem. And as they go that direction, uh, this is the story as it's picked up. Then I want you to understand, as we think about living the life of Jesus and doing it Jesus' way, there's going to be some indicators of we're doing it Jesus' way or our way. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. So you see how the idea, there was, there was some turmoil going up. There was some things happening in which the word got out. And, and he was now the, the, main, the main celebrity, the religious celebrity, a new celebrity in town. And, and Jesus wasn't ready to go public in a, in a major way. And so he left where the Pharisees were now saying, look, we, we took care of John. You know, he's, Herod's got him. But now we've got to do something about Jesus. So he takes off with his disciples. And we pick it up now in verse 4. And he, Jesus, had a pass through Samaria. And I just want to stop there for a moment. And he had to pass through Samaria. It's a little Greek word, day, which we don't connect with at all. But, but really the emphasis here is saying, look, it, uh, it, it makes it sound like that this is the only way that Jesus, from where he was, could get to Jerusalem. But that's really not true. He could have gone another way. In fact, most Jewish religious um, people would not go through Samaria because it was a, a, a place that if you went through that area, you were like unclean. And so we have here some kind of strange words. He had to go through Samaria. And, and the reason he had to go through Samaria because he knew that was his father's will for him. This was according to his plan. This was something he needed to do because God was going to do something here that was going to give us a clue what it means to live like Jesus and share Jesus the Jesus way. And I just want to make some simple points this morning, and I want you to understand that the bullet points that we're going to share are not inspired, but there's some things that I got out of this text that just kind of struck me. If you live the life of Jesus and share the life of Jesus and you do it the Jesus way, the first thing I want you to understand that there's going to be doing it with surprise. This, this was surprising to not only the woman at the well we're going to see in a moment, but it was surprising to the disciples. They were thinking, what are we doing? No one goes to Jerusalem this way. The, the religious rabbis uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they often criticized everything Jesus did. They, they want to put him in a light in which this is obvious. You shouldn't follow him. Uh, they so despised the Samaritans that they would say anything that a Samaritan would touch would be unclean to them. Even if they ate off a plate and you washed it, that was not kosher. And so anyone who would spend time with uh, a Samaritan, uh, you would question their spiritualities and their loyalty to God. But Jesus living the life 
that he wanted to impart to others, he, he, he would do it and show it with surprise because they weren't expecting it. And can I submit to all of us that, that if we're really living the life of Jesus, there ought to be some things in our life that surprise other people. That we go the extra mile. That we show compassion. That we love people maybe other people don't love. That we're willing to spend time with people that people ignore. When we, when we reach out in ways that, that show it's not about us, but about other people. And this is exactly what Jesus wants his disciples to know because they had learned a little bit. You don't ask Jesus questions that, that are going to embarrass you, not him. But he was surprising them. First of all, where he was going. And then, about, then very soon who he was going to talk to. And so the story continues on. And so he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Probably about just a half mile out from Sychar. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, I'm going to throw this in a little bit to you. This, not only are we supposed to do it, live the life of Jesus, and share the life of Jesus, the Jesus way. And part of the Jesus way is with surprise. Can, can I just share something that maybe intellectually, but in our heart of hearts sometimes that surprises us is that as we think about following the life of Jesus, it, often, at least the way I struggle with it, I say, well, that's impossible because Jesus was and is what? He's God. Well, how can I do everything Jesus did? Because he was God. And we feel and look at him somehow as like a super, a superman approach physically and nothing, nothing harmed him, nothing hurt him, nothing challenged him. But what we have here right in the text is that he stopped at the well because he was what? He was weary. I think it was Vince Lombardi who said that fatigue makes cowards of us all. When you're tired you're not really motivated to do the next thing, right? When you are tired, some of us get a little cranky. Any spouses want to raise your hand about the person next to you? And here was Jesus who was weary, and he stopped at the well, and it was the sixth hour. Now, there's some debate about what time of day that was, primarily because of, you know, what, what, what watch you're going to look at. You ever seen those places where they have the Tokyo time and the London time and the you know, United States time, and they're all got different, you know, numbers on the, on the dial, whatever it might be. Well, it was the Roman clock. It would have been six in the evening at the end of the day when most people are weary at the end of the day. If you took the Jewish time, what it was, it was 12 noon. I kind of leaned toward the 12 noon time. So it was in the middle of the day, and Jesus was there, and he was about, and he had already surprised the disciples by living the life and now he's going to surprise not only his disciples, but a, a woman he was going to encounter. And as we look at this, what we need to understand is that Jesus was about to experience a divine appointment, which simply is a way for us to describe that when, when we go through life and we encounter things in life, and particularly when we encounter people, it, it might not be an encounter that's simply an accident. In fact, every time you're with someone, it's not an accident. It's an opportunity either, either to live the life of Jesus before them or, even, or to speak about the life of Jesus to them. It was at a divine appointment. It was no accident. So when we do it the Jesus way, first of all, do it with some kind of surprise that people say, why did you do that? You know, why, why did you extend yourself? 
And we're going to see this as we look at Jesus with the woman at the well. Secondly, as you think about doing it uh, the Jesus way, do it with surprise, but also do it with kindness. And we'll see this as Jesus encounters this woman. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? And so Jesus, first of all, initiates the conversation. And that was a shock to her. That was a surprise. But he, he did it in such a way that it demonstrated kindness to her to the point where she was shocked. And she questioned, why are you doing this? And, and again, hopefully part of our life is when we're around people, we do acts of kindness. And they can be random, but even more important if they're intentional. And she was surprised by this. And she was surprised for two reasons. One, because of the ethnic diversity there was not particularly one in which it would, would draw a Jewish person to talk with a Samaritan. And then secondly, because she was a woman and he was a man. And in those days, it was, it was one in which that was not accepted in a, in a, in a way that would not bring, a, again, this, uh, people wondering, is this a right thing to do? And I want to say for all of us, as, as you encounter people again, and as you have the opportunity, uh, initiate conversation. It, 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 sometimes people will just be amazed if you show them a little bit of kindness, openness, and a willingness to engage. And one of the best ways to do that is simply talk with people. Jesus initiated a very simple conversation. And it was interesting. He came to the place where he was being willing to be put in the position of being the person in need. Sometimes what we, and have you ever had this experience with either yourself or someone else where they always want to be the helper and not the helpy. Now there's the reverse of that. Some people only want to be the helpy and not the helper, but, but sometimes, no, I, I want to be a giver. You know, I never want to be someone who's receiving something, but Jesus was in a situation where he took someone that even the person who he was encountering recognized that that's not your role, you know, to, to be in need to someone that you see as an inferior but he put himself in that humble experience in which, in a kind way, he, he lived the life that he wanted to impart to others. And he did it with kindness. But she responds to that and she reacts to that. And, and then I want to say that before we look at it, that Jesus, again, does it, live the life and preparing to share the life. He does it with sensitivity because she reacts to him. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew this gift of God, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with me and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and, and drank of himself and his, his sons and his cattle? Now, hopefully you get the picture here. She went from curiosity saying, well, why are you even talking to me? Most people don't talk to me. And, and, and we're going to find out a little bit later. The reason she was out there at noon, at the heat of the day, without any other women, because she was not a particular 
um, a popular person in our town except for maybe a few men because she was an immoral person. And so none of the other women would be seen with her. And so she had to do whatever she needed to do by herself at a, at a distance, at least a half a mile where she lived probably. And, and as she was reacting to Jesus, she, she, she did not get on the defensive at the first point, but she got on the offensive. And hopefully you remember as Jesus dealt with people, and Jesus didn't always treat everybody the same. Did you, have you recognized that? There were different ways that Jesus would approach people because he was sensitive to their need and to their heart and why they responded the way they responded. I mean, with, with Peter, he, he was, when Peter would, would respond back to Jesus trying to reverse the role where Jesus was a teacher, he was a student, and when he didn't agree with what the teacher said, he reversed the role and he was a teacher and Jesus was a student and he tried to correct Jesus and tell him what to do. Even after he said something brilliant, who do people say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then just a few moments later when Jesus talks about going to the cross, he tells the Jews, you will never go to the cross. And he says, get behind me what? And you're thinking, that's not very sensitive. <laughs> but he knew that's what Peter needed. And, and the woman at the well, and she's nameless, she responds aggressively to Jesus, kind of mocks him. Uh, you, you can give me water? Well, how can you say that? You, you don't have anything even to draw out of the water. Oh, by the way, just uh, who do you think you are? Do you think you're greater than what? Jacob? And, and so she begins to mock Jesus. And, and Jesus, as we say with very sensitivity, doesn't react but responds. And can I submit to you that's where we all need to be? There are certain situations where I can just look back and I responded, I reacted rather than responded with people. But Jesus knew the heart of people, who, who he needed to confront with in, in a strong way and who he needed to back off and really speak to the heart of where that person was. And, and this woman who, who really was an outcast, not only to the Jewish nation, but to her own people, and she was probably reacting out of a sense of, I'm not even worthy to be here with any other people. And, and now you're talking about giving me something that everybody would want. And I think this is ridiculous. You have nothing to draw out of the water. And for you to be able to give living water, which she understood even from her a background in the, in the Yahweh faith, that this, this, is, this can only be delivered by someone who is great. And sometimes when we live the life of Jesus and we share the life of Jesus, sometimes what's going to happen, people say, well, who, 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 who died and made you God? Who, who makes you think you know what's going to happen when you die? Who, who makes you think that you can know for sure where, where you're going to spend eternity? And, and this is kind of the response that the woman with the well was giving Jesus at this time. So Jesus, in living the life and sharing the life of Jesus with someone else, he did it with a, a surprise, shocked people by doing what other people didn't think he should do. He went to people, initiated a conversation with people that other people wouldn't talk to. He, he did it with kindness by putting himself in a place of need, having the other ones serve them, him. He, he did it with sensitivity by not overreacting to someone who was aggressive with him. And, and then what we see very quickly is he, he however, 
does it with boldness. And sometimes when we live the life of Jesus, it's going to take a bold step. And you know what boldness is? Boldness is really another word you could say that's connected with confidence. We as God's people ought to live life with confidence. Believing that God is living within us. And as he lives within us, he wants us to, to share that life with confidence with others. In what we do and how we do it and why we do it and who we talk about. And so he, he really speaks to her need as we continue on in the story. In verse 13, we have Jesus saying this to this woman at the well. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst but the water that I will give him will become to him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And now, now listen, this has got to be just blowing her mind. Think, wait a minute. Not only are you saying, I, if I drink of this water, I'll never thirst again. You're saying, I, I can live forever. I don't deserve to live forever. As we know about the message of Jesus, the message of Jesus, he not only gives us quantity of life, which would be eternal life or life that lasts forever. He gives us quality of life. In John 10, 10, a few chapters down from this, a very familiar verse, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, speaking about the enemy. But I came that you might have life and have it more, fill in the blank, abundantly. So, so Jesus has already spoke about the quality of life and the, and the quantity of life. You'll never thirst again and you'll have eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. I mean, this is, this is a deal you can't pass up. And, and in many ways, the sales pitch for, for knowing Jesus is, do you want to go to heaven? In, in one way, one of the challenges that we're going to have on, in our children's ministry is when you ask that question to children, how many want to go to heaven? How many hands are going to go up? Every hand is going to go up. But, but there is something that everyone needs to realize. If, if you're going to get to heaven, then something you need to realize is keeping you from getting to heaven. And, and what is that? That's our sin. And you've got to be willing to turn from your sin at whatever age you are. And, and really, if you wanted to find sin for little ones or big ones, young ones or old ones, it's that middle letter of that word sin. It's the letter what? I'm not going to live for me anymore. It's not about me, but it's about God. And, and so boldly, he, he deals with her need and our needs as well. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you have spoken correctly, uh, but I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said to her, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And why did she say that? Because she had never met him. And she was pretty well versed about those who lived in her town, in her community. And I've never seen you. And Jewish people don't hang out with Samaritans. So how would you know this unless who told you? God told you. And so the idea I want you to... Um, understand here is that that Jesus could have stopped there. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you and wants you to go to heaven. God loves you and, and I'll get you in. But we need to realize that Jesus came not only to demonstrate his love, but to deal with that which separates us from him, which is our sin. 
And so boldly, he had to get to that part of the story. It's just not a good thing for you to know Jesus, but you need to know Jesus. You got to deal with those things that you know in your own heart that are wrong. She didn't justify having five husbands, and the one she was living with is not her husband. She realized that she was a sinner. But she, he, she needed to understand, this is what needs to be resolved. So Jesus, living the Jesus way, of course, he was Jesus, but he was human in the flesh, so much so that he could get wearied over a long day and then getting to a, a watering hole at, at, uh, in the noon or in the end of the day. He, he dealt with her with some surprise. She was shocked by his willingness to engage in her in a conversation. He, he dealt with her with kindness because he was willing to put himself in a place of need, asking her to help him. And often if you want to help someone else, allow them to help you. He did it with sensitivity. He didn't jump on her by her responding in a, in a mocking way to him. He, he did it with boldness because he talked about sin. But then he did it with clarity. Look at, look at the message he gave her, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in, in this mountain, and you people say that in you people, you people say that in Jerusalem is he is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship that what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Just a little freebie here is the Samaritans, a long story about their background and what happened to them and why they were an outcast from the Jewish people. But they really only believe the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so as you looked at that, you are talking about things you really don't know. But I'm going to help you with this. I want to be really clear. It's not about whether you're a Jewish person or a Samaritan or someone else from around the world. This is what is important. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. That's where the line of Jesus came as the Messiah. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And so as you look at the life of Jesus, what he did with her is very plainly wanted to be clear. He goes on and says this. The woman said to him, I, I know that Messiah is coming. Who is, he was called the Christ. And in case you've never heard, Messiah is the, the Jewish name for the anointed one, the promised one. And Christ, Christos in the Greek is the Greek name for that. It's not Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. It's his, it's, uh, his identity. He is the promised one. I know the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Now, here's where clarity comes in. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Actually, literally, it's I who speak to you, I am. And it doesn't get any clearer than this. Is I want you to understand that this is, this is why this hour has come and it has come right now. Because the Messiah, the Christ, the one that's been promised from Genesis through Malachi, has now arrived on the scene. And I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the promised one. Now, as we live the life of Jesus, 
which means we need to know Jesus, and we share the life of Jesus, and we share the life of Jesus with clarity. It comes to that, that point when we talk to people about God, eventually we need to get to the, the clear point that Jesus did. Who is God? Jesus is God. And the whole story of the Gospels is that. You know, Jesus got the title Emmanuel, which translated mean God is with what? Us. And this is Jesus, this is Jesus coming out party. He, he had not declared this until this exact moment. And some who comment on this passage, that what they'll say is, really, the emphasis here is not so much about the woman in the well, but letting everyone know it wasn't just for one select group of people. Because when Jesus announced the message, he says it's for everyone. For God so loved the, the world. And for the Jewish mind, they could not conceive that. But he wanted them to look up. This is for everyone. This is the first time Jesus announced with clarity, I am the Messiah. And he did it to a woman who was an outcast. And one that wasn't part of the, the Jewish nation. And said, I am he. And so when we talk to people about God, not only do we need to talk about God's love and then talk about our sin, but we need to talk about that Jesus is God. Very clear. No, I mean, either he was telling the truth or it was the biggest lie and the greatest hoax in all of history. But then the response, the response at this point, his disciples came and, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what, what do you seek? And, and why do you speak with her? Uh, some of the rabbis would say this, that it would be better that, that God's word would be burned than to give it to a woman, and particularly a, a Samaritan woman. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They, well, they went out of the city and they were coming to him. And I guess, guess what I want to say here is, is to think about not only doing it with clarity, but we need to do it with conviction. Is that what happened here is that the woman who encountered Jesus and came to faith, her response immediately was, I got to go tell somebody. And she did it with some sensitivity because when she went to the men who, who often would not listen to her. She put it in a question form in which they said, well, I met someone who told me everything about me. And, and they were probably thinking, well, we know everything about you right here. But, I, but I'd never met her, him. Is it possible he is the Messiah? Is it possible he is God in the flesh? Is he the one? And she went and shared that message because she was convinced that he was the one. It goes on in the story. Meanwhile, the, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to him, the food to eat, I have, the food, ha, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And this is also a story of conviction as we think about living the life of Jesus and sharing the life of Jesus. What is most important in your life? For those in Tokyo, the most important in their life is competing well in the games. Beyond that is to get on the, on the metal platform and if it's quite possible they want to win a gold and that's a that's a great goal to, to win a gold on Olympics but but what Jesus is saying here yeah I want you to understand this this challenge to do it the Jesus way to live the life of Jesus and share the life of Jesus this is what life is all about 
It's more important than actually having a meal. I have food to eat which you know not of. Most of us are familiar with that, that statement of Jesus, which was a quote from the Old Testament, in which he was tempted by the evil one. And his response was always biblical, quoting scripture. And he says, man shall not live by, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so as we look at our own life and as we think about doing it the Jesus way, we've got to love God's word. We've got to, as best we can, know God's word. And, and, and then as we understand the whole purpose of the word of God, it's not just to fill up our minds, but to fill up our life. We need to live out God's word. And then we need to share the, the most important message out of God's word. And, and they couldn't understand it. They had spent all their time going into Sychar to get food for him and thought they were doing a good thing for him. Don't, don't you like, when you do a good thing for someone, don't you got, want to get a little bit of what? A little praise, a little, a little words of thanks. And Jesus said, oh, I know all that work you did to get that food. I, I'm really not very hungry. Women, have you ever done that where you create this great food and then all of a sudden people say, I, just, I, I ate right before I came. I don't want what you just prepared. He said, I have foodie which you know not of. And, and so with conviction, he wanted to pass this on to his disciples. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I will say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For this case... For this, in this case, the, the saying is true. Our one sows and another reaps. Jesus had been sowing all this, and now they were going to have opportunity to reap what was going to happen next. I want you to reap that for which you had not labored, and others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And part of that talks about all that God had done in the Old Testament, now arriving on the scene in the New Testament. But he was saying, look at while you've been getting food, which is a good thing for us to eat as we continue on our journey to Jerusalem, I want you to understand there's something more than just just doing well physically. And that's doing well spiritually. And helping others to get in on it. That, that's the food. That's the most important thing of life. My food is to do the will of my fathers in heaven. And, and I want you to understand. Let me give you an agricultural illustration. You, you, you see these fields and they're not ready to be harvested. And say, well, we can wait a long time to get them harvested. But you don't understand that in the real world, there are things to be harvested all the time. And really what many will say about this passage is that he's looking at the, the green fields that weren't ready to be harvested. He said, pretty soon there's going to come out to you and you're going to see all these people dressed in their white garments. And they're going to be prepared to be harvested for the sake of Jesus. The message of, of having their sin forgiven. And them coming into a life with God, meeting the true Messiah. And so as we think about doing it with conviction is that understanding when we're with people, whether they're little ones like we're going to emphasize this week, or whether they're at any age, there's an urgency to share the life of Jesus and the message of Jesus. And then last thing, and they were all together now, is do it with others. Look at how the story ends. From that day, verse 39, many of the Samaritans believed 
because of the word of the woman who testified. And we only have the little statement, hey, could this be the Messiah who told me all things that I had done? She must have gone on a little bit with that story to the point where they were convinced this is the Messiah. And so they believed enough to put feet to their faith that was going to come when they met Jesus. And they took off at least a half a mile away. We got to meet this person, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah. He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with him. And he stayed with them two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the first time this statement, Jesus in this way, has been said in the gospel. Jesus is not only the Messiah, he is the Savior of the world. Not just the Jewish nation, but the entire world who come to faith in him. I put it do with others because what happened is as Jesus did it on the one-on-one relationship, now his disciples were with him. And now they spent a couple days with these, these new people they had just met. And they were sharing the message that changes lives forever. And, and that's, why, that's why God has called us to be not only individuals that follow Jesus, but we do it collectively we do it together. There's no way you can put on vacation Bible school. You know, as, as talented as Rich is, he could not have done this by himself. And if you think about the stories that we told, the games that we run, the food that we've given out, the, the verses that will be shared, the drama that will be presented, the counseling that will be done, the little conversations that will happen, the helping of a little one go from one point to another place in, in our campus couldn't be done by a single individual. So God has called his people to do it. And we do it sometimes at the surprise of others. We do it with kindness. We do it with sensitivity. We do it with boldness. We do it with clarity, we do it with conviction, and we do it with others. So I only have one question for us. And if you're on an Olympic team or you're preparing to be on an Olympic team and and I was watching you go through whatever your particular athletic event was about, I, I would probably be forming opinions pretty quickly. Do you have what it takes to really compete? Do you really have it? It's not only the skill level, but it's really more so the heart. There have already been some upsets in the Olympic Games, and not only the team games, but the individuals. And some of it, really, the only way you could explain how someone upset someone else is because what was in their heart. It wasn't their talent, because so often we look at talent. Or gifts or even training. The woman with the well had a revival with an immediate encounter with Jesus because her heart was right. So as God's people, we need to ask ourselves, or those who want to become God's people, do you have it? And do you want to share it with others? Let's pray.
Lord, the invitation is, is always so clear when Jesus speaks it. And that's why we love that verse, John 3.16 and its neighbor 3.17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And what's our response? That whosoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. Well, I would, ever, I would just plead everyone online or in our worship center today, they've come to that place where they believe in their heart that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is the only solution to our sin, and that we've surrendered our life to him. And when that is true, for God did not send his son in the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. But once we come into that relationship with you, you've now called us to look into the people around us and realize our our food is to do the will of our fathers in heaven, to reach out to people around us. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both locally in Jerusalem, in the surrounding areas with maybe people that you aren't even comfortable with in Judea and Samaria and then even to the remotest parts of the earth. Help us to live the life of Jesus and share the life of Jesus with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.